You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, moving over from ScoreZag Score and taking over here at Locked On. This episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. I also want to thank you all, dear listeners, for making this podcast your first listen of the day. Whether you are new to my show or new to Locked On Zags in general or just new to Gonzaga Podcasts, I really, really, really appreciate it. You can also now check out this show on YouTube. Check it out. Go to Locked On Zags on YouTube. We're trying to hit 200 subscribers before Black Friday and Gonzaga's epic game against Duke. So go hit that subscribe button. Check us out there. Before we get to that Friday's game against Duke, though, we got a game this Friday as well. Most of you are listening to this show on Friday. So today's episode is, of course, going to be a preview of Gonzaga's Friday opponent, the Bellarmine Knights. First segment, we're going to take a look at who they are, what kind of offense they run, how they've done so far this season. Second segment, we're going to do my five things to watch. These are the five big things that I'm going to be looking for in tonight's game, things that I'm hoping you all will be looking for as well. And then we're going to round out the show and the week with a look at how our Zags are doing in the NBA. So let's get right into it. I'm going to start out the Bellarmine Knights. This is their second season as a Division I team, Gonzaga has frequently liked to pick up these games against these programs that are just starting out at D1. I don't know whether it's something that they, they reach out to Gonzaga, whether Gonzaga like just likes to pick these games up. I don't think it has anything to do with the relative ease of beating these opponents. I think it's more about getting these schools this cool opportunity to play in the kennel, play in Spokane, play against the number one team in the country when they're just kind of getting started. Bellarmine went 14-8 and last year, their first year at D1 in the Atlantic Sun Conference. This year they're 0-3, but that's not super reflective of how they've played. They they got beat pretty badly by Purdue. They lost by 29 points, but again, Purdue is, I think, 7th in the country at the time. I think they're right now generally considered one of the five best teams in the country. A lot of people realistically think they're number two behind Gonzaga. Super good team, so no shame in getting beat by them. They lost by 19 points to Murray State, and then their most recent game was against St. Mary's, where they only lost by 11. That was an interesting game. We're going to focus a lot on that game, obviously, because Bellarmine is their most recent game. And, of course, we're going to play St. Mary's a couple of times this year, so always good to kind of see how those games go. Right now, Bellarmine is 185th on Ken Palm's ranking, which for an 0-3 team that is in their second season of Division One, that's pretty dang good. They're ahead of a 4-1 Lipscomb team. They're ahead of 3-0 Cal Baptist, another team that's very recently transitioned to Division One. They're ahead of Florida Gulf Coast, Hawaii, a 3-1 Utah Valley team. They're one spot behind Seattle U. So this is a team that's getting some decent respect, according to Ken Palm's uh, rankings. They're 112th in adjusted offense per Ken Palm. 112th. They're borderline top 100 team in the country in offense. However, they are a bad, capital B, bad defensive team. They're 292nd in adjusted defense per Ken Palm. Uh, they give up a ton of points. They're just, they're not a very big team. They're not a very long team. They're just, they're not a good defensive team. So they have some good offensive innovation. Uh, the most notable thing, they don't pass. 
or excuse me, they don't dribble. <laughs> they do pass. That would be that wouldn't be innovative. That would just be straight up bad. They pass the ball. Uh, they do very very little dribbling. It's like a no dribble offense, uh, and it's kind of fascinating to watch for those of you who checked in against St. Mary's. It's it's interesting. It's an interesting strategy. Now, obviously, against Gonzaga, who's very very good at playing the passing lanes for a team that tries to pass a ton and also burns a lot of clock. That the fact that St. Mary's, the game between them and St. Mary's actually had a pretty decent score. I believe it was 73 to 62. Like that doesn't look that bad. But uh, Bellarmine is 280th in the country in tempo. They do not play fast. They play slow. They play methodical style. They pass the ball a lot. So the two things that I think are going to happen a ton in this game. Gonzaga is going to get a lot of steals because the more you pass, the more likely the other team is to steal the ball. And Gonzaga has more length, more athleticism than certainly than Bellarmine, but really than just about everybody in the country at this point. So more passing equals more steals for the Zags. And if they keep trying to run the clock down to seven, eight, nine, ten seconds before they start really trying to look to score, there's going to be a lot of shot clock violations. Gonzaga has already done this to other teams this season where they face teams that try to slow the pace down. Most teams realize they can't run with the Zags, so they think if we slow things way down, we might be able to get a victory. Obviously, it has worked in the past. St. Mary's and Coach Randy Bennett are the most notable example of teams that have successfully done this. You have to execute your offense nearly to perfection in order for it to work, and you still kind of have to hope that the other team doesn't shoot particularly well. But if you're able to do that, it is a recipe for success. I don't think it's going to work here. I think Gonzaga is going to force a ton of shot clock violations. They're going to get a ton of steals. It's just a, it's a difficult recipe for success. Looking at looking at some of Gonzaga, excuse me, looking at Bellarmine's other games, uh, St. Mary's again, they put up 73. They only shot five for 25 from three. So St. Mary's had a terrible shooting night, still scored 73, which I know 73 is not a lot, but for St. Mary's, for Randy Bennett's offense, that's a good chunk of points. Matthias Tass had a phenomenal game. He had 25 points. He missed two shots, period, in the game. Nine for 11 from the field, eight for eight from the free throw line. I've always thought Matthias Tass was a guy who's going to have a breakout season at some point. It was kind of expected last year. Never really came to fruition. He had himself a really nice night here. Again, as has been the case with Dixie State, with Alcorn State, as will be the case with other teams that Gonzaga plays this year, Bellarmine does not have a lot of size. Their biggest player, one guy over 6'9", Sam DeVault. He's 6'10". He's a rotation player. He's not a starter. That's it. That's all they have for guys over that size. Everybody else is 6'8 or shorter. Going to be a problem, obviously, for them trying to figure out how to handle both Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy. Uh, They give up 96 points to Purdue, over 80 points to Murray State, 73 to St. Mary's. I think Gonzaga is going to score a lot of points in this one. For the Knights, the best player, the player to most look out for is going to be Dylan Penn, six foot three senior guard, put up 27 points against St. Mary's, had a really nice night against the Gales, averaging 15, 4, and 4 through three games on the season. So that's a look at who Bellarmine is, what this game's going to look like. Obviously, it's one of those games that Gonzaga has that's not expected to be particularly competitive. I don't expect this to be a very competitive game. St. Mary's was within 10 or 11. I don't think that that's going to be even close to the case here. It's going to look a little bit more like that Purdue score where Purdue won by 29 points. I think Gonzaga is probably going to win by even more than that. But this is an interesting team. I always like seeing teams who are new to the Division I level because sometimes they're a little bit more innovative. They try new things. That's going to be the case with Bellarmine. We're going to see a ton of passing, not a lot of dribbling. 
which should be interesting. At If nothing else, I don't think it's a strategy that's going to work against Gonzaga, but I don't think teams in this state really have a lot of strategies that are going to work. Hell, Texas came into the game with a specific strategy that didn't work. Texas is a far more notable, established, talented program than Bellarmine, so you got to try things, see if it works. I'm excited to see how this thing goes for Bellarmine, but I don't expect it to be anything that gives Gonzaga too much trouble. All right, that was a brief look at who Bellarmine is. Next, we're going to talk about what I'm going to be watching for in this game, the five things that are going to be on my radar as we tune into the game on Friday. Uh, Before we get there, though, let's talk about McDonald's. This episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect a place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team can come to recharge. It's the place you always look forward to stopping at on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. Growing up, it was the place to go for post-game celebrations, and for a while it even became a pre-game location with their delicious breakfast menu. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. I'm loving it. All right, second segment, we're going to talk about five things that I'm going to be watching for in Gonzaga's Friday evening game against the Bellarmine Knights. We're just going to get right into them. The first thing, and I think this is going to be a topic on just about every single game, Chet Holmgren's offensive usage. Through the first few games, we have seen him be utilized in different ways on offense. Against Dixie State, he kind of played this facilitator role. He was given the ball a lot in the middle of the floor. The guards ran off of, they ran picks off of him. They ran handoffs off him. He did a lot of inbounding to Drew Timmy. He wasn't really looking for his shot, but he had the ball in his hands a ton. Against Texas, he barely had the ball at all. When he did have the ball, he was quickly getting rid of it and putting it in Drew Timmy's hands, who of course went off for 37 points. There was some consternation about Chet Holmgren's performance. He only had two points in that game, the biggest game of his career, first time on this big stage. Didn't really do a whole lot. Then we saw him against Alcorn State. He was It was the first time we've seen him in his career where he was hyper-aggressive. He was looking to score. When he got the ball, he put it on the deck or he put it up. He was far, far, far more aggressive. Meanwhile, Drew Timmy played more of that facilitator role. Gonzaga has this insane flexibility where they can do that. Both their bigs are talented enough that they can kind of play either of those specific roles. Now, another kind of gimme game against Bellarmine. Not a big team. They don't have a lot of size. They don't have a lot of... Division one talent, if we're being perfectly honest, I think Chet has the ability to do a ton of really good things in this game, but it's a matter of whether he takes that role on or not. Do we see the more aggressive look for your shot, Chet Holmgren? Do we see the more passive, let Drew Timmy do the work, Chet Holmgren? Or do we see the more, I'm going to be the facilitator, I'm going to be the the passer, but I'm not going to be looking for my shot, Chet Holmgren? Does it matter which one we see? I'm not sure. The fact that he's capable of playing all those roles is a really good thing. I think if he's being very deferential in this game, we'll have an issue. I don't think that what he was in the Texas game was particularly deferential. I know that was a word that a lot of people used to describe his performance in that game, but I do think think that that is probably not a role we're going to see from him in this game because Gonzaga is not going to need that. I would also love to see more of his outside shooting. We haven't seen a ton of that. He looks good when he does it, but he just hasn't taken a ton of threes. Again, it's not something Gonzaga needs in this game. He's more he's better off probably going and posting up and trying to score around the basket, but I would like to see him showcase that outside shot a little bit more. Next thing, can Hunter Salas keep it up? 
Hunter Salas obviously had an incredible game against Alcorn State, 16 points on 6 of 9 shooting. He now has 4 steals in 42 minutes on the season. He's been very, very, very good on defensively. He's got great hands, really fast, hyper-athletic. Finally showed that showing that scoring proficiency against Alcorn State. He only played four minutes against Texas. That was another topic that was discussed quite a bit just because we thought he'd be more in the rotation, and then he just basically completely disappeared for that game. He didn't play that poorly when he was on the floor. He just only played four minutes. Now another opportunity for him to show what he's capable of doing. I expect him to hunt his shot a lot in this game. I expect him to be a big part of the offense. But I'm curious, are we, we going to see another 16-point performance from Salas off the bench? Did he earn himself more playing time? He already played a lot in that game against Alcorn State. I don't think, even if he plays a lot in this game, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm expecting him to play big minutes against UCLA and or Duke. If you ask me if I think he's going to play more than four minutes in those games, I'm going to tell you yes. Regardless of what happens in this game, I think he has earned more playing time than he got against Texas. But I think we'll certainly see him play more in this game. And I'm curious if we'll see that same aggressive style who's looking for a shot. I also am curious if we're going to see more outside shots. He hasn't made a three yet. He hasn't taken all that many. Is he going to try to showcase more of that part of his game? Because if he can knock down threes, even semi-regularly, it's enough that it changes the way teams have to guard him. It opens up the floor a little bit more, gives gives Gonzaga more room to throw entry passes, makes it more difficult to double-team those guys. So it would be nice to see him start to pick up that outside shot. This might be a good game for him to hack a few of them up and see, see what goes down. Third thing, speaking of freshmen, we're sticking on that train. Talk Chet Holmgren, we talk Hunter Salas now. Third one, we're talking... Nolan Hickman. Is this the Nolan Hickman breakout game? Hickman had 11 points against Dixie State, so it's not like he hasn't done some scoring, but he hasn't really had that signature game yet. He's looked fine. He was on the floor towards the end of the game against Texas, which is a very good sign that the coaching staff really believes in him, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. I think that's primarily why he was out there, because Julian Strother had a struggled. He did not have a good game, and they, the staff went to Hickman over Salas. Now I think they might go to Salas first because of that explosive game against Alcorn State. This is an opportunity for Hickman to really show what he's capable of. He's two for nine from the three-point line so far, so he hasn't really had that shot down. I'm glad he's taking them. I think taking two or three per game is what Nolan Hickman needs to do. Right now, obviously, if he's taken nine through three games, this means he's on pace for about three per game. He just needs to start knocking him down a little bit more. I think that shot's going to start falling. He has only taken three free throws, which is something that jumped out at me when looking at the stats. I think he's a guy who, if, especially if his outside shot's not falling, I'd like to see him be a little bit more aggressive, trying to get to the rim, trying to get to the free throw line. But again, his primary role is he's, an, he's a distributor, distributor excuse me, and a very, very good defensive player. He's still continuing to do those things. Eight to three assist to turnover ratio on the year is great. He's one of Gonzaga's best perimeter defensive players. So I'm not worried about him. And I don't even, I wouldn't qualify his performance up to this point as struggling necessarily. He just hasn't had that full on breakout. This is a great opportunity for him to come out, have 17 points, knock down three threes, also have a couple of steals and really start to get, start to turn some heads, start to get some eyeballs on him as a, as a potential, I don't know that he's going to be a one-and-done player, but as a guy who's really on the radar as a legitimate NBA prospect. Number four, we're still sticking with the freshman. Uh, ben Gregg versus Caden Perry. Obviously, the last time these two guys got minutes was in that Alcorn State game. Ben Gregg looked great 
in that game. He came in around the 10-minute mark of the first half and the 10-minute mark of the second half. Played, I think, 12 minutes in that game. Had eight points. Looked really comfortable. Played down low around the basket, which isn't a role we've seen him do all that much. Granted, we haven't seen him play all that much in general. But he, he was around the basket. He was scoring with his back to the basket. He took a three. He didn't quite knock it down, but it looked good. He looked better defensively. Meanwhile, Caden Perry... Did not have a great game. Five, He's played five minutes. He had five fouls, no points. Just w- looked a little out of control. Very, very aggressive, which I like. I don't mind that skill for him, but he needs to rein it in a little bit. Uh, we need to see more refinement from him. He just he doesn't have it yet. I know this isn't a popular opinion on Gonzaga Twitter, but he doesn't he doesn't look ready yet. He uh, to be honest, he doesn't. That doesn't mean that he won't be ready by the end of the season. That doesn't mean he won't be ready by the middle of the season. The fortunate thing is Gonzaga doesn't need him to be ready this year. He's the fifth big in my mind. There's a competition between him and Ben Gregg, and I think that they both offer different things. So you can make a reasonable argument if they're both at the same level that either or for them could be the number fourth big man. If they want more outside shooting, they could bring in Ben Gregg. If they want more rim protection or if they want more just a better athlete, they could bring in Caden Perry. But right now, it looks like Mark Few prefers Ben Gregg. He played him a lot more minutes, even without the foul trouble. Ben Gregg came in six minutes before Caden Perry came in in the first half of that game against Alcorn State. I'm curious to see how this competition for playing time shakes out and how these two guys look in this game. And then my last one, very simple. Can Gonzaga break 116 points. That was last season's high. It was against Portland. They scored 112 another time. I think that was against Dixie State, actually. Bellarmine's defense is bad. They gave up 96 points to Purdue. There's a chance if Gonzaga is shooting well in this game that they top 116 points. At the very least, I think they will top 100 in this one. Doesn't really matter. It's not that big of a deal, but I think this could be, it could be fun. Seeing Gonzaga score a whole bunch of points on a Friday evening sounds fun to me. I'm sure it sounds fun to a lot of you, so I'm really hoping to see this team get out well over 100 points, maybe challenge for that 116 point. Heck, maybe even try to get to 120 if they can. Of course, Gonzaga's going to rest some of their guys. They got a big week next week with the Duke and the UCLA game. There's no reason to run Rue Timmy or Andrew Nembhard or Rasir Bolton out there for longer than 30 minutes, really. None of those guys should play much more than 30 minutes in this one. Young guys makes it a little bit more likely that the slowing is going to, the scoring is going to slow down, but still could be really fun to see this team try to challenge for 120 points. All right, we're going to switch gears in the third segment. We're going to discuss some NBA zags, but before we get there, let's talk about Bet Online. Bet Online is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Today's episode is also sponsored by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bilt Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bilt Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. 
Go to BuiltBar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. All right, transitioning away from talking about the Bellarmine game with the final segment of the week here on Friday morning or afternoon whenever you are listening to this episode or watching this episode. If you're checking it out on YouTube, I appreciate that. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. But for now, we're going to talk about Zags in the NBA. It's been it's been a bit of a challenging season, unfortunately, for our Zags in the NBA. The ones who are playing, have most of them have not played up to their expected performance. There's also, obviously, injuries that are impacting a lot of guys. Mid-season injuries for some guys. Of course, there's a Rui Hachimura situation, which we'll get into in a second. But still, that doesn't mean it's not exciting. That doesn't mean things are not going to turn around. We're going to start talking about the rookies. We'll start with Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs averaging 11.4 points, 3.1 rebounds, and 3.5 assists per game for the Orlando Magic. He started every game for them. He's playing around 28 minutes per game. It's very clear Orlando is highly invested in him. They love him. They're excited about what he brings to this team. He has struggled to shoot the ball. He did miss a few games with an ankle injury. He came back, posted 13 points, four assists, three steals versus the New York Knicks in his most recent game. He also took four threes in that game and knocked down three of them. That is what you want to see from Jalen Suggs. I'm surprised 12 of his 13 points came from beyond the arc because you expect him to do more trying to get into the rim, trying to get to the free throw line doing all that stuff, but still, if he's going to knock down 75% of his threes, you're going to take that. Of course, he's also only shooting 23.5% from three, even with that game, so still a bit of a struggle for him to knock down those outside shots consistently. The Magic are willing to be patient. I've gone on record with one of my hot takes last week that I think he's going to turn it on in the second half. I believe he's going to average more than 20 points per game over the second half of the NBA season. Again, he's only at 11.5 right now, but I expect that number to come up as the year goes on. Next up, Corey Kispert. Corey Kispert has been a victim of a large group of players all added to the Washington Wizards roster at once in that Russell Westbrook 5-for-1 trade. He's only playing 12 minutes per game in his rookie year, averaging 2.8 points, 1.8 rebounds, and 0.8 assists. He had six points aboard and an assist versus the Hornets on November 17th, his most recent game. Uh, He's taken 23s in the season, but he's only knocked down four of them. So like Jalen Suggs, he hasn't found a shot yet. He just, it's not there. He is not a four for 20 shooter. That's not who he is as a basketball player. That will change. His three point percentage will get better. I expect that he will find more playing time as the season goes on. Now, Washington has been very good this season. I believe they have an 11 and four record. They are killing it. If they continue to be really good, they're probably not going to change things up too much. Of course, Rui coming back from his absence will also further change the rotation. Right now, Kyle Kuzma is starting at the four. Does Rui come back in off the bench? He's never come off the bench before. Does he step into that starting role? Either way, it's going to impact Corey's playing time. He's only playing 12 minutes per game right now, so unfortunately, it might even go down from there. But I think he's going to be a bigger player in the second half. If not, definitely next season, they're going to lose some of these guys. He will then be a bigger piece going forward. Next up, a lot of this applies to Joel Ayayi as well, who's also on the Washington Wizards. He is on a two-way contract, which means he does most of his playing in the G League, which is where he's been. He's been killing it in the G League, which does not surprise me at all. More structure than it, than he had in the Summer League when he really struggled. He's been putting up borderline triple-double type numbers, the kind of stuff you expect from Joel. Uh, he has played in a couple of NBA games. He played uh, a minute and 27 seconds on the 17th, uh, had his first career assist, is still looking for his first career points, but they are coming very soon for Joel. Next up, getting into more of the veteran guys, of course, 
two-time all-star Indiana Pacers forward DeMontis Sabonis. Sabonis is averaging 18.3 points, 11.5 rebounds, and 3.7 assists, shooting 57.5% from the field, just 29.8% from three. Like everybody else who used to wear a Gonzaga uniform, Sabonis is struggling to knock down his outside shots in the NBA. He's not quite on last year's pace, even though 18, 11 and a half, and 4 is still really, really dang good. Uh, he's not quite doing as well as he did last year, as particularly in the passing category. Part of that might just be the rest of Indiana's team is not knocking down as many shots as they used to. Still having an excellent season from the big man. If he picks it up a little bit, there's a very real chance he makes his third consecutive All-Star game. Next up, Brandon Clark for the Memphis Grizzlies. Clark is averaging 6.5 points. Four rebounds, 1.3 assists, only playing 14 minutes per night. A huge bummer for Brandon Clark. He averaged over 24 minutes per game each of the last two seasons. Scored, I think, 12 points and 10 points in his first two years. Now only 6.5 points. He's had a couple really nice games lately. On, a, on November 8th, he, he scored 20 points, had 9 boards versus Minnesota. He had 12 points, 3 rebounds, 3 blocks on 5 of 5 shooting on the 15th against the Rockets. That is the Brandon Clark that we know. 3 blocks and he didn't miss a shot. That is my guy. Right there, that's Brandon Clark. And for some reason, the Grizzlies are not utilizing him in that kind of role. He should be a rim roller. He should be a shot blocker. That is it. That is what he should be doing. He should not be playing the wing. He should not be shooting threes. He should he should be rolling to the rim, trying to score under the basket, and blocking people's shots. I don't know why Memphis drafted him if they weren't going to utilize him in that role. They did. But that's, that's what almost makes it worse. They did. They used him in that role. He was good as a rookie. 12.5 points per game. He shot like 60% from the field. He was great. And now they're they're not using him in that role. If they don't have a spot for him, they should look to trade him. I know it's difficult to trade a rookie uh, in just his third season, especially when his performance has has continued to drop. But they're they're causing that to be the case. I don't know. It's a fascinating situation. It's a, it's very frustrating for Ben Clark to put up 20 and 10 in a game and then still not be being used in a bigger role is, is frustrating. I hope that there's some kind of resolution to the situation soon. Next up is Killian Tilly. Killian Tilly has played in three NBA games this season. His most recent one was on November 5th. Like Joel Eyei, he's on a two-way contract, which means most of his playing time is happening in Memphis with the Memphis Hustle, not with the Memphis Grizzlies. Their G League affiliate is the Hustle. Uh, he's got five boards on the season, three steals, two blocks, and about 20 total minutes. Again, I think we'll see a lot more of him. He plays the same position as Brandon Clark, obviously, so they might cut into each other's playing time when he is on the big league club. Uh, hopefully, you know, if Memphis decides to move on from Brandon Clark and make a trade, it would be very beneficial for Clark himself, and it might be beneficial for Killian Tilly as well, so we can keep our fingers crossed that Memphis decides to pull the plug there. Next up, Kevin Pangos. Pangos has played four NBA games. His most recent one was on November 12th. He hit his first career three in that game. His first points as an NBA player obviously came on a three-pointer. So he is now officially in the record book. He has officially knocked down a three in the NBA. I'm thrilled for him. I continue to say this. He was one of my favorite players. He was in college at the same time as me to see him go overseas, have some success, deal with some injuries, then have some more success, then finally make it to the NBA. It's a really inspiring story. Uh, I'm thrilled for him. I'm thrilled he finally got off the schneid and got that shot made. Uh, he's mostly been a DNP, unfortunately. He's a depth option for Cleveland's not. Cleveland's playing a really tight 7-8 man rotation. They're not getting a lot of guys into the games, which is why he hasn't played as much as I would have expected him to. But it's a two-year contract. Hopefully he gets some time as the season goes on. Maybe get some more time next year. But at least at least now he's he's done it. He's made a three in the NBA. He has accomplished that, which is an incredible thing. I am sure there are more to come. 
Not last three updates, Rui and Zach Collins, uh, both those guys have yet to play this season. Uh, there's not really a ton of new updates for Rui. It does sound like he is going to go play or at least be assigned to the G League roster, which is exciting. That does mean that potentially he is inching closer and closer to getting in game shape. That's been the update from Coach Wes Unsell Jr. is that they're still waiting for him to get his conditioning up to where it needs to be. Obviously, he missed the entire preseason and has missed the season up to this point with per- for personal reasons. Uh, been some reflection that potentially it had to do with the performance of uh, Team Japan in the in the Olympics. He was a flag bearer for them, obviously felt a ton of pressure. I don't know how much of this has been confirmed as true or not, but he's around the team. He's starting to get closer to game shape. Hopefully he's back on the floor soon. Zach Collins is out until after Christmas with an ankle injury for the San Antonio Spurs. There's no update there. I will obviously continue to let you know as he gets closer to getting back onto the basketball court. And then last but not least, Kelly Olenek suffered an MCL sprain and will be out six weeks. This happened on November 12th, so he's been out for about a week of that time. So he's still got over a month to go. He's probably not going to be back until after Christmas. Sometime between Christmas and New Year's is probably the most optimistic scenario there. He's a backup center for the Detroit Pistons, averaging 12.5 points, 5.3 boards, and 2.3 assists, shooting 34% from downtown, 46% from the field, just doing Kelly Olynyk things, man. He's had a very, very consistent NBA career, save for a really epic 25-game sample size with the Houston Rockets last year. Now he's back. He's doing the same stuff with Detroit. Hopefully he comes back from this injury as healthy and as Kelly olynyk as ever before. All right, that is going to do it for me today. And for this week, I'm looking forward to chatting with you all during the game this evening, as always. Looking forward to next week. We got Mailbag Monday, and then we're talking UCLA. We're talking Central Michigan, and we're doing a lot of talking about Duke. Going to be a super, super fun week. Make sure you tune in all week long on YouTube or on just regular podcasts. But even if you're just listening to the podcast, go to YouTube, hit that subscribe button. I sincerely appreciate it. We want to be at 200 by the time Gonzaga tips off against Duke, we are on our way, almost there. Just need a few more of you to go in there, hit that subscribe button. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you again for making this show your first listen of the day. A reminder to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q, with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right. Happy weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening, and go Zags.